Welcome to Voices of Santa Clara. Having a good idea doesn't get you done. And if we'd hit those, there would have been an explosion. We would have died, obviously. Scholarship should cultivate the virtues. Worry more about, am I searching for what I should be doing next in the world? Welcome to the Voices of Santa Clara podcast. I'm your host, Gavin Cosgrave, and today I'm talking with Bill Maines, who is the Director for Leadership and Sustainability in the Levy School of Business at Santa Clara. In this conversation, we cover how Bill made his way to Santa Clara and discovered his passion for leadership education. We get into a few of the programs he has helped run, including the Contemplative Leadership and Conscientious Capitalism courses. We cover common leadership myths, Bill's favorite book, and how to handle work-life balance. Bill is an amazing mentor to so many students at Santa Clara, and I hope you enjoyed the conversation. So welcome to the show, Bill. Thank you. Glad to be here. So to start out, I am wondering, what are some of the foundational moments or experiences from your childhood that you think helped to kind of shape your identity? Uh, hmm. Several things. First, um, my father is a Lutheran pastor, and my mother was a teacher until she started having children, and then she decided to become a home, uh, home uh, full-time mother. Uh, and uh, that was very formative for me in being raised basically in the church and then having a parent at home all the time. Uh, another thing was we moved around a lot. Um, my earliest memories are every couple of years moving to a different spot, different different city, different state. Um, I think I've, last time I counted, I went to seven different schools growing up, K through 12. Uh, so that was definitely a formative experience of always meeting new people and uh, meeting uh, new cultures and uh, trying to figure out how I fit into those different places. Um, last thing I can imagine would be interesting to people would be I'm from a quite large family. Um, I'm the oldest of 12 children, um, eight of us biological, and then my parents adopted four others um, who we all consider our full-blooded siblings. Um, uh, it was interesting to be part of a large family like that. Um, uh, challenges, of course, on a, on a single income uh, with that big of a family. Uh, there were financial challenges, uh, but uh, we made it work. My parents made it work, and it, it, it's formed me uh, partially into who I am today. And then kind of moving into your, uh, your time in college, I guess, how did you end up in college, and what were your career aspirations at that point? Education was a value that was stressed uh, pretty significantly by my parents. And so uh, it wasn't a question of whether I would go to college or not. It was just a matter of uh, choosing where to go. Um, As it turns out, I really only applied to one school. I applied to Carthage College in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Um, Music was important to me. And uh, so I applied for a uh, music scholarship, uh, which I was granted, and went to school um, with uh, music education, uh, with some ideas of vocal performance in my mind. 
um, and then went to college for that. And then I hit music theory too, and quickly decided that music was not for me. Um, ended up switching to psychology and uh, had a great experience with that. Um, but I still continued to sing in the choirs when I was there. Uh, so uh, Carthage is just a good fit for me. It was a small private liberal arts school, um, part of the Lutheran tradition. My dad was a Lutheran pastor, made sense that way. Um, got a pretty incredible, a generous financial aid package, which made it possible for me to go. Um, and then uh, had a great experience when I was there. Hmm. And then what what did you plan to do when you graduated? Like, What did you pursue when you graduated? Um, so as a psych major, job prospects with just a, a bachelor's degree are, are pretty limited. Um, and I had designs on becoming a therapist of some sort. Um, so I started looking around for programs. Uh, a, f the, a colleague of a former supervisor of mine when I was in college as an RA um, knew of a, of a potential opportunity to be a graduate assistant um, at Baldwin Wallace College in Ohio. Uh, so I applied for a graduate assistantship there, um, and they had a very generous uh, tuition reimbursement program where you could enroll in a uh, graduate program at a school nearby and they would contribute uh, some financial assistance to that. Uh, so I chose to enroll in the graduate program in counseling at Kent State uh, University. Um, they had, um, a, 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 I guess, a focus on um, solution theory uh, when it came to counseling that really interested me. And so I enrolled at Kent State and then worked as a graduate assistant and uh, at Baldwin Wallace College. Um, then with the idea of becoming um, a therapist for, for young people, perhaps for children, um, did an internship at the Berea Children's Home. It was an outpatient counseling center for kids that were um, uh, troubled, I guess the best way to put it, uh, through for various reasons. Um, and then uh, after doing that during the day, my, my last year in grad school, I'd come back and be a, a hall director in the halls and found that I was really enjoying the work with college students. So uh, gave up the dream, perhaps, of being a, a, a clinical counselor and instead decided to focus my attention and time with college students and help with their development and uh, fell in love with that work. Hmm. Were there any moments or experiences in your 20s that, really, that you really vividly remember that stand out to you or that changed your course at all besides those you just mentioned? In my 20s. Um, hmm. Graduate school, I learned a lot about what I was good at and what I wasn't good at and the type of environments I wanted to be in, uh, the type of work cultures I wanted to be in. Um, it's when I made the choice to move out of the Midwest uh, and moved to Stockton, California, and uh, took a job at University of the Pacific, and I grew a lot there, being far away from anything that I was comfortable with before or anything that I ever than I knew. Um, grew a lot at, at uh, UOP and then uh, moved to LA after that in my later 20s and that was a whole new thing being in a big city and feeling the vibe of LA um, getting uh, exposed to a lot of different ways of life uh, was, was fantastic for me um, and meeting some really interesting dedicated people who helped shape a commitment to uh, to the education of college students. Um, I think maybe the last thing in my 20s that was really impactful 
uh, in terms of my career was uh, working at Loyola Marymount University. That introduced me to uh, Jesuit education, and uh, I felt like I finally found my um, my home uh, in terms of how to approach students, how to uh, how to facilitate the growth in all areas of one's life, and the opportunity to put. Uh, one's faith life also into uh, one's vocational search, I think was really interesting and important and gave me permission to, to pull that into my portfolio of things that I like to do with students. Mm-hmm. And then how did you get interested in leadership and sustainability, which are kind of the areas that you're working in now? Where did that start? Uh, leadership uh, education has always been with me. Um, it was something I kind of gravitated toward in high school with sports teams and clubs and activities. Um, in college, uh, being in a fraternity, being really involved in college uh, organizations, student organizations, um, playing intramural sports, running track, um, singing in the choirs. Um, Graduate school, uh, lots of different opportunities for leadership development there, uh, specifically with my my RA staff or what we call here CF staff. Um, Started becoming interested in that a little bit more as a focus in my career uh, at ULP, where I had opportunities to teach some leadership development courses with our RAs and training. Uh, Continued that on at, at LMU and at San Jose State, and then uh, decided I really want to make it a focal area of my career. Um, and uh, joined the Center for Student Leadership staff, now the Center for Student Involvement staff uh, here at uh, Santa Clara. Um, sustainability comes really from my family. Uh, growing, growing up for mostly in the formative years of my life in the rural Midwest, um, definitely felt a strong connection to the earth and to what it provides in terms of agriculture, uh, in terms of uh, hunting and fishing, uh, recreation, how it brings people together. Um, also saw um, a lot of the people, if they weren't farmers in the towns I grew up in, are involved in agricultural trades. They're involved in trades work or uh, in manufacturing in different factories. And so learned a lot um, about friends, uh, parents, and the experiences they had working in, in that kind of a setting. Um, so, uh, and then my parents are, uh, they were always agriculturally minded, sustainability minded. We always had the biggest garden. We always uh, would shop at co-ops. Um, so it just instilled in me a, a appreciation for all things sustainability. Mm-hmm. Um, and then coming to Santa Clara, I saw an interest to bring my leadership uh, expertise, if you will, and my uh, developing expertise in sustainability together, uh, specifically with business students um, working in the business school and helping students who had an interest in that area find ways to explore how those two things could intersect and complement each other. Mm-hmm. And so one of the one of the ways you've done that um, is through the Contemplative Leadership and Sustainability Program. So could you talk a little bit about that? Like why did you start it? What were the goals and what have you seen as a result of that? Yeah, uh, so that was started by uh, three of us. Uh, Lindsay Kalkbrenner, who's the director of the Center for Sustainability here, uh, a Jesuit who's no longer here at the university, a guy named John Braverman, and then myself. Uh, we, the three of us, for some reason, got together and started talking about uh, opportunities that we saw within, within the business school to do something um, that would 
get at what students were asking for. Um, so I've met with a lot of students in leadership courses that are teaching who express an interest in environmental issues or societal issues, but didn't really have a way to get at that a little bit more deeply within the business school itself. There's other opportunities across the university, but the business school they found to be a little bit barren with that. So um, the three of us put together this idea of creating a program that would allow students to explore um, what we call contemplative leadership, um, which is about uh, understanding what your values are, uh, spending time thinking about what your values are and understanding um, how that can play out in your professional life, um, putting together some information on what sustainability is as, it, as uh, it's defined within the business world, and then how students can uh, incorporate their values around the earth, their values around how people should be treated into their careers. Uh, initially, we created a program. We had 12 students take part in it. Uh, three years later, we had 90 people in it. Um, we decided that was a little bit too big, so we cut back to about 50 or 60. Um, and then uh, we, uh, we felt like there was a, a need for students to be able to earn academic credit for the, being involved in CLASP. Uh, so we uh, got it through the, uh, the business school's uh, procedures to have it offered as a two-unit course. Uh, so now students can take it for two units or two credits um, for a quarter, and uh, it's worked out pretty well. Hmm. And then another program that's, that's currently going on in, in class is the Conscientious Capitalism yeah. program. So could you talk a little bit about that and what, what's resulted from that program? Yeah, so this is really exciting that I'm involved in now. Um, so uh, this guy named Chip Adams has founded the Center for Conscientious Leadership up in Menlo Park. Uh, Chip has uh, had a, uh, an amazing business career, uh, founded Rosewood Capital, did some fantastic stuff with that, um, was not uh, uh, on the board at Under Armour and helped um, with the strategy and branding of Under Armour, um, had, a, had a fantastic career. And uh, something that he noticed throughout his career, as he's, as he's told me, is that um, oftentimes he would meet with young people at the places where he was working, and they wouldn't have a clear understanding as to why they were doing what they were doing. They found themselves going along with cultural norms or family pressures or societal pressures, rather than doing what truly spoke to them, uh, what was a, a really a... Um, a full representation of who, how they saw themselves and how they wanted to be in the world. So um, he wanted to uh, provide opportunities to help uh, college students figure that out before they got into the workplace. Um, he has a long, deep connection to Santa Clara and, uh, through various uh, faculty here, administrators, Jesuits, and uh, the idea was proposed that maybe he could do some work here around that. Um, he was introduced to my dean, who then introduced him to me, and Chip and I headed off um, with my work in what I called contemplative leadership at the time. Um, and Chip's conscientious leadership, it just seemed like it was a nice blending of our two interests. Um, and it's worked out well. Uh, we've created, uh, Chip has created a course called Conscientious Capitalism. Um, I've helped uh, flesh it out, what it looks like here at Santa Clara. Um, it's a fantastic course geared mainly towards seniors, um, open to all seniors across the university. Um, it is an application-based course, but um, we're, we want to make sure we have people who are taking it who are demonstrating capability and uh, intentionality about wanting to explore these things. Mm -hmm. um, we have uh, fantastic speakers that come in. 
um, and talk with students to provide inspiration around uh, understanding who you truly are. Um, so some pretty iconic people. Um, David Crane from Google Ventures has been here. John Donahoe from formerly of eBay was here. Um, Howard Bihar of Starbucks, former president of Starbucks, uh, Admiral Eric Olson. Uh, so just amazing speakers have, have come in uh, to, to share and inspire uh, our, st our students with their story. Um, and then uh, we do Harvard Business Case Studies to help students get into the minds of iconic figures from, of, of history, um, recent history and current events, I guess, as well, um, to kind of take on what's making people tick and why are they making the decisions that they make. Uh, and then finally, most importantly, perhaps, are these small group leadership development teams where people, the students are uh, encouraged to explore deeply as to who they are, what they value, what their gifts are, to determine a sense of purpose and intentionality, um, and then to share that with, with their peers and to get support um, as, as necessary, to be challenged when it makes sense to challenge them on if that's truly who they are. Um, and it, it's been a great experience. Uh, students are really uh, have indicated they've really appreciated this opportunity uh, to, to delve more deeply into who they are as they are about to launch into their careers and their, their sense of vocation. Um, and we understand a 10-week course can certainly help them for the rest of their life. So we're in the process now of creating something for uh, people who want to continue on in this work uh, for as long as they want to. And we're calling that the Conscientious Leadership Forum. Um, it's just in its formative stages now, but we're hoping that it could be something that uh, like-minded individuals can connect to uh, for the rest of their lives uh, and assist and challenge and support each other um, as they try to become more intentional with who they are and how they express that in the world through their careers or through their personal life. It's hmm. a long answer to a short question. Yeah. But... In, in working with these different leadership courses, are there any any common myths or misconceptions that people come in with about leadership that you see a lot? Yeah. Um, well, there's there's a, a former dean, a professor, and a celebrated author here named um, Barry Posner and his, and his partner Jim Coos. Um, they put forth in their book that they dispel the math right away that uh, you have to be born to be an effective leader. Um, that that's just not true. Um, leaders are not born. Leaders are made. Um, you might be born with certain attributes or um, qualities that, that uh, might make it easier to be a leader in some respects. You might be more charismatic, you might be outgoing, you might be um, more authoritative, you might be more detail-oriented, things that might be useful in a leadership capacity. But those are certainly skills that can be learned. Uh, so the biggest myth that I try to uh, dispel or help my students be rid of is the idea that only certain people are are born to be a leader. Um, there's a leader in every single person that just needs to be um, looked for and needs to be refined and developed. And uh, uh, I think anyone could can be an effective leader if they just work at it. Mm -hmm. One one question I have is how you balance um, building a career in business success with also having successful re uh, relationships and, and family, because I think a lot of times leadership is associated with working really long hours and people um, people lose out on their relationships when they do that. And there's, especially in Silicon Valley, there's a really culture of um, constantly working. So how do you uh, balance that and how do you advise that people balance those two things? Hmm. 
Well, I think the, the topic of work-life balance is important to think about, but it's also important to realize that that balance is going to be different for every person. So a 50-50 balance between work and personal life is uh, not realistic because it's not definitive for every person. Uh, it, it, for some people, a healthy balance is 90% work and 10% personal, and the other might be the exact opposite of that, and that's okay. Um, yes, to be an effective leader requires presence. It requires um, it requires people who are committed to what they're trying to do. Um, I think probably one of the most important leadership decisions that you can make is to choose a life partner that is supportive of what you're trying to do. Um, so someone that will um, understand that occasionally the, the, the work or maybe predominantly the work requires long hours um, and is willing to work with you on that. Um, where I've seen it become a problem is when um, expectations are not clearly stated or um, goals are not uh, uh, described and shared ahead of time or even negotiated throughout um, the, the experience. Um, you know, in my own life, I've been blessed to have an amazing, amazing spouse you know, who's very understanding and very supportive of my own dreams and aspirations, and I hope to do the same for her. Uh, we have three children, and we, we make it work. Uh, it's, it's been a great shared experience so far, and that's uh, certainly any time you think about work-life balance, I think that's the number one priority is, is to, if you do decide to have a relationship, to make sure that you go into that uh, fully uh, eyes open as to what the other person might want to do mm -hmm. and uh, fully expressive of what you might want to do mm -hmm. as well. So that can be uh, a constant topic of conversation and negotiation. Mm -hmm. Do you think your, your role working with issues of leadership translate into your parenting at all? <laughs> yeah, all the time. Um, uh, in some respects, I'm a leader in my family in that I set expectations, um, I set consequences, um, both through what I say and, and what I do, and my children witness that. Um, but I'm also a follower, and my children are a leader in that um, I've learned through them to have uh, more of a sense of wonder and a more sense of uh, the possibility and negotiation and communication. Um, and I've, I think the, the hallmark of any good leader is to know when to also be a follower um, that, uh, and, and to remain humble. And certainly having children um, is, a, is a humbling experience. Mm -hmm. now, a, lot of, a lot of people might look at where you are in your career and see that you've been really successful. And so I'm wondering, are there any, have there been any really challenging times or um, periods where you doubted yourself or any notable failures where you learned something important? Uh, it, it, it may appear from the outside uh, that I've got it all together, but that might come from some wisdom I learned from my parents. Um, they said to be like a duck, nice and smooth on the surface, but underneath the surface, don't let anybody see that you're scurrying like crazy. Those, those legs are churning. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's doubt and there's challenges, perhaps not to be dramatic, every day. 
and, and little decisions that are made, little decisions that are not made. Um, there's times when you feel like you're failing your students, I think, but I feel like I'm failing my students because I don't provide perhaps the, the listening ear that I should, that was required, or I don't provide the right piece of advice that was asked for. Um, but at the same time, it's important to remember that I don't need to be everything to everybody. And that's what make, gets, helps, it, uh, helps me through the challenging aspects of, of my work. Um, I, I'm blessed to work at a university with incredibly talented people who, um, if I don't have perhaps the right response or the correct answer, I can refer students to other people. So that's important for me to remember um, when I start to feel challenged or feel like I'm not uh, pulling my weight is remember that I'm on a team here at the university with a, with a common mission of, of educating, inspiring, supporting, and challenging our students. Um, I think the places in my career, the times in my career that have been the most challenging or I've learned the most is when I was in a, um, an institutional culture that was not a good fit for me, um, where uh, other things were valued uh, or prioritized that um, were not in line with what I valued most or prioritized uh, as being uh, number one or number two in my life. Um, what I learned from that was to recognize that's okay. It doesn't make it a bad place. It doesn't make me a bad person. It just means it's not a good fit. And then I needed to search for someplace else that was a better fit. Um, and that's been uh, empowering to know uh, that, um, again, I don't need to be all things to all people. And I can do my best work in a setting where what I bring to the table uh, is uh, useful and uh, is valued. Mm -hmm. And up to this point in your career, what do you think you're most proud of? Uh, professionally, I'm most proud of um, my students. Uh, they blow me away every day. And I'm proud of the opportunity to work with them. Uh, they're a blessing. Um, I learned so much from them. And uh, I'm inspired by what they aspire to. And um, I'm proud that I've had uh, even just a little bit of, of uh, impact on who they are today and who they're going to be tomorrow, what they achieve uh, and what they do. So I'm really proud of that. Um, personally, uh, I'm most proud of my family. Um, I, I love being married to my wife, Nanak. Uh, she's uh, a gift, truly in every sense of the word, and uh, I value that, and I'm proud of being her husband, and uh, I'm proud of our boys. Um, they're uh, uh, amazing uh, kids, challenging, and uh, inspirational in their own right. Um, I've got a great set of in-laws that live with us, and they are just fantastic role models uh, for my for my kids, for, for Nock and me, um, and then my family of origin. I'm really proud. Of, of them too, my siblings and, and my own parents. Awesome. Well, yeah. I'd love to wrap up with a couple shorter questions. So, yeah. first of all, what advice would you give to a first-year student coming into college? Mm -hmm. Get involved. Uh, explore. Find out what you're passionate about. And you can only do that through getting involved in lots of different things and trying different things. And then uh, do go to office hours, get to know your faculty so they can get to know you and support you and what you're interested in and uh, take risks.
What book would you recommend that every college student read? Uh, well, my favorite book of all time is uh, Watership Down. I think everybody should read that book. It's a great story. It's about rabbits. So it's it might seem kind of a silly story for a grown man to like, but I think there's wonderful messages involved in Watership Down. Uh, so everybody should read that book. Hmm. What's your favorite place that you've traveled? Um, I had the opportunity to hike the Camino de Santiago in Spain. Um, and when we were walking through Galicia, Spain, I just fell in love with the country and the people. Um, uh, that's that's got to be um, that's got to be at the top of the list. With I mean, Hawaii is beautiful. I love traveling there. And, um, Germany is a fantastic country to visit. Uh, lots of good friends there. But uh, for some reason, that Camino de Santiago trip just really stands out. Mm-hmm. If you could send a message to everyone in the United States, what would you say? Uh, time out <laughs> uh, let's stop and, and think for a little bit and uh, and uh, let's make some better decisions and finally what does an ideal Saturday look like for you uh, try to sleep in a little bit if possible before my kids jump on me um, uh, go downstairs and make them some uh, sourdough waffles and the waffle iron uh, maybe take a trip to Costco to get all the produce we might need for the next year, or I'm sorry, for the next week, um, and uh, have some downtime with the family. That's that's what I look forward to. Well, awesome. I'd love to try those waffles, but thank you, thank you so much for doing that conversation. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. You can subscribe to Voices of Santa Clara on the iTunes podcast app. You can visit VoicesOfSantaClara.com for interview transcripts, and you can like the Facebook page. Special thanks to Miles Elliott for the music. Thank you for listening, and have a nice day.